Welcome to Creative Dialogues. Creative Dialogues is a Wollongong City Council project. This series focuses on the arts and creative industries and aims to help you upskill, form strategic partnerships and collaborate. My name is Tom Hogan and this episode's discussion is on joy and mess, working creatively with and for children. I'm not super keen on meeting people for the first time of a video chat. It's impossible to look people in the eye and there's always some minor tech distraction to prevent a genuine interaction. Thankfully, everyone's used to it. Hi, Martha. Hi. Um, j- sorry, just give me one second. I'm just fixing something on my side and then I'll introduce myself, I promise. It's okay. <laughs> That's Martha Johnson, manager of Discovery Space, a hands-on children's museum in Wollongong. And then someone logged on with the username Lala. Hello. Um, Hello. Hi, Jill. I assume, unless you unless you prefer me to call you Lala, which works for me. I should. <laughs> no, Jill. Uh, Jill will do. Jill will do. Jill Talbot is an artist and the author of Joy and Mess, for which this episode is named. Joy and Mess is a book that's a practical guide for adults to experience creative learning alongside young people. And then the list is logged on. Hello. Hello. We can't hear you. We can't hear you. But I feel you can hear us. You can hear us. (laughs) The listies are Richard Higgins and Matthew Kelly, a comedy double act specialising in works for children. Most recently, I'd binged their show on ABC TV, The Listies Work for Peanuts, highly recommended, and I was a big fan of their show, Hamlet, Prince of Skidmark. So, yeah, video chat is never a great way to meet someone. But there's an even hazier, stranger way to meet people. Yeah. Um, hi, Matt, and hi, Richard. Uh, hi, Tom. Hi, I, saw, hi. I saw your love song, dedication song uh, show in the Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Fringe a couple of years ago. Very I think we fun. drunkenly said hello in the, uh, in the artist bar afterwards. Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, sorry. I mean, uh, you know. I've been having a cup of tea. <laughs> yeah. Joy and mess indeed. Anyway, I wanted to kick the discussion off with Martha because the early Start Discovery Space Museum seemed like the kind of place I would have loved to have gone to as a kid. Well, I've just looking at your space, it seems like you're engaged in um, working with children to sort of essentially show them how to create and also having them lead that creation, I guess, seems to be yeah. the... So it's self-discovery. So they, they get to pick and choose where they want to go and what they want to do in that area. So we're not, we don't really direct them as such as to what you have to do in this area. It's we, we provide an environment um, and some of the tools and things and then they can create all manner of things. So even though we may have a, a ship, they might turn that into, it could be a pirate ship or it could be, uh, I don't know, a, a spaceship. It could be something else that they then be taken on a different journey because they are the, the creator or the leader in their uh, imagination. And so, yeah, something that you think a piece of Lego might, just be a bit of block or something, they then can turn it into something else that doesn't even have to be related to Lego. It's it's now a, mm. a sandwich they're going to use to to go around in our campsite. Or <laughs> So, yeah, their imagination and what they do with particular um, items um, is is extraordinary. You sort of said when you're providing this space, can you describe that space, at least the space for the early start discovery? <laughs> Sure. So, yeah, we're at the Early Start Discovery Space, which is at the University of Wollongong. Um, it's a children's museum and it's uh, it's essentially we have what we call experiences um, and they're these atmospheres or these uh, spaces where we set up an area. So we've got a shipyard, we've got a campsite, we've got a 
tummy. So there's lots of fighting that goes in there. We've got a shopping centre, a little marketplace, a, a cafe, a construction site. So there's these mini experiences where the children can pretend or aspire to be something within, um, you know, what, what they might want to grow up to be. But it, it, it shows them that they can. So it's it's trying to be as real to life as possible um, and they can feel like they can do that as, as an adult if they want to. So they get to explore life before. Well, how much do you have to goad them into getting weird with it? Or is that like, I assume that's kind of naturally inbuilt or do you have to like sort of uh, like suggest them to sort of take it outside of... Oh, yeah, no. So... We don't, so there's these many experiences that are around the place and they can walk in and they choose where they want to go. And in each of those spaces, there won't won't Mm, not necessarily be a staff member. So it's just them with their adult. So they come with their adult. It's not just children. The children come with an adult and they play in that space however they will. So, and it's just through sheer observation that you might come across this and go, huh, I haven't seen that being done before. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and Jill, your book, Joy and Mess, it kind of begins with the assumption that the students and children can already create. So the book isn't intended to educate them as much as it is sort of for the adults. Yeah, I, I got thrown into it um, 10 years ago after coming from a background of teaching older kids and adults. So I didn't really know the capacity of the... I'm with under five specifically in preschools. And I was just completely gobsmacked to see how they had in abundance all of the qualities that you'd seek in students you know as a as an educator just using their initiative and being as Martha said completely unfiltered some some of the things they come out with are just absolute gold you know and and ready to experiment without being self-conscious and being being very unself-conscious in their mark making uh, so I went into this role 10 years ago as an artist in residence in preschools throughout the Illawarra thinking that my battle would be to win the kids over. Uh, You said, you know, you mentioned a minute ago, Tom, goading them. I thought I'll have to do a lot of goading to get them in, in, you know, into the zone. And what I found was I had, you know, no issue at all getting kids involved, but the, the educators and the staff and particularly the parents seemed a little bit defensive at times about what I was doing. Oh, you know, you do it like that. Like, no, we, you know, we, here, we'll use this A4 size paper and I would turn up with great big pads of like, you know, like an easel size paper. And so they wanted to keep it very contained and controlled. And as soon as I provided the space and the materials in particular, and then a scaffolding for the children to explore they just, well, you'll see in that book what they came up with. They, they, I was just speechless. And I found within the first month that I was actually delivering the equivalent of a high school uh, curriculum to the under fives and, and they ran with that, absolutely. So f- uh, for those who don't know, this book is documenting a series of workshops and the outcomes uh, and the step-by-step process of how you allowed creativity to flourish in different ways in those workshops. So... Um, I mean, the one thing that stuck with me in this book since reading it, uh, apart from the introduction, which made me feel better about being an artist immediately, um, was just about how clay is naturally creative um, on account of it already being half-formed. So it fulfills this human instinct for the ease of its malleability. And you basically give a series of very practical exercises to explore this. So um, do you find that the, like 
I'm sorry for leaning into the clay thing too much, but I would just, I've generally been thinking about it all week of just like, I think I need to buy some clay and just experiment with like, yep, <laughs> like yep. what this book sort of suggests and means. And that's not me working yeah. with children. That's just me going like, ah, this there's meaning in this clay itself. Really, you can take that back to um, clay being, you know, used for, for centuries. It's a very old material. It's quite possibly one of the initial sculptural materials that people used as artists going back many thousands of years. It's also very, like, primordial in a way too. And I find um, that children, they might be uh, intimidated by a big blank sheet of paper because they've had sort of maybe negative experiences trying to draw with pencil, which isn't such an interesting tool to use. Um, it's the worst of them so, all, I say. Uh, it's terrible. Yeah, it's not no bling. You know, there's no bling. You you give give a child a beautiful soft brush and a and a juicy ink. You know, and and you know you've you've got them forever then. But no, I don't use pencils at all with children. No, I don't use paints very much either because they tend to find they have paints at home. But um, clay is, I think, the universal favourite material of of young and old children and it's not intimidating for some reason because I think all you have to do is squeeze it and you've made something a bit like Martha said before about picking up Lego you know and suddenly it's something else well if you put a piece of clay in front of any age person adult or child they only have to play with it for a minute and they've you know oh look you know here's a whatever and um and it feels great you know it feels mm. really good I did not find very early on that if I use terracotta clay, which is a little bit cheaper than the white clay that you see in the book, that any kids who had babies at home thought it looked a bit like baby poop after they played with it for a while. So I had to get rid of the terracotta. Yeah, I think the first thing you ever make with clay is a snake and the second thing you make is the poo emoji. You yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> Turns out they're really easy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe that uh, poo is a natural transition to go across to the listies. Um, so Matt and Rich. Thanks for that. Yeah, no, oh, you're welcome. Rude. I've been working on that uh, segue for a while. <laughs> I've just been going through all your material, which it turns out you are crazily more prolific than I kind of anticipated. Like I sort of, I've, I've, I've seen you, I've seen several of your shows and I've seen you around about, but like you've put out like three albums and two books and you've got a TV show and it's just like four albums, actually four albums. <laughs> okay, we're working on a fifth at the moment. It's become sort of a bit of an empire yeah. of this. Now this is, um, you know, if you know a way of getting us to stop, we're happy to hear that. And you know, like, <laughs> it's like a compulsion that we need to sort of like, yeah, you must create. Yeah. I think when I first saw you years ago, I think it was Adelaide Fringe. It was definitely like more of an adult show, or at least it was, it was an ad adult show for kids. And then you've sort of transitioned to make your bulk output this. Is that just a market thing or is it just like the essence of why you're creating? Are they related? And Okay. So yeah, we, we definitely started out doing adult comedy. It's hard because you call it adult comedy and it makes it sound like you know, yes. we were working blue Let's yeah just we weren't even working that blue but it's like we were making work for older audiences like like yeah fully fully and then we did make a conscious choice to transition to making entirely work for kids uh, about eight nine years ago so we, we switched over and um basically we like finishing work at 4 p.m so <laughs> and um, that, that, yeah, nap time i mean the, the it's sort of um, and everyone sort of uh, mentioned kids' willingness to participate. And for me, and like it was a no-brainer. We, we went from performing to audiences where when we make really interactive work 
and we went from performing to audiences where you asked for a volunteer and everyone would like cover their eyes and look at the ground and then uh, like the person that you picked complained to a group full of people when you asked for a volunteer would put their hands up and then everyone that you didn't pick would complain and that's just, <laughs> that is the, it's just it, that's distilled down to that but the yeah. other thing that you said there Tom was like marketing you know um I part of me thinks that if that there is a bunch of stuff out there that's in the adult world that I think is for kids and a bunch of stuff in there in the kids world that is for adults like I think like like uh, Adventure Time and SpongeBob SquarePants, legitimately good cartoons and can be watched by adults and enjoyed. And then there's stuff out there. Bluey. Yeah, yeah, Bluey. Yeah, actually Bluey. And then there's stuff out there that's like, like I think the Beatles essentially were like a kid's band. Definitely. Like who, we all loved the Beatles, like Yellow Submarine. That's a kid's album, but it wasn't marketed like that. So mm. I do think it's a fuzzy area. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, I was speaking to a, a general manager of a sort of theatre company who just ran a survey of uh, like their kids' shows and um, they sort of found that obviously all adults thought it was very important that their kids saw theatre, but then the adults themselves, the last time they'd seen a show was only with the kids and hadn't been engaged in theatre outside of that. And they seem to have a very clear delineation about what is kids' theatre and what isn't and the value of that. And it seems like all three of you are working very explicitly to kind of break that mold a little bit like all of you are engaged in not only the children's involvement but also to make sure those adults are involved which is a no-brainer obviously in the way that you aren't making work for just one audience member or one type like you need it to be broad as you sort of said like all those cartoons are cartoons for adults at the same time it's like i don't even know what that means anymore yeah and it's for us like that the decision to sort of do that came it was purely out of like the the desperate ego of performers. It's like, why would you do a show where you're only making half of your audience laugh? Like, and and then we... Oh, you mean performing also to the adults? In the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like... <laughs> yeah. It's so, not like an adult show is only half the audience laugh. <laughs> no, but, like, when you're performing to kids... People you, sat, who sat on the odd-numbered seats, they weren't allowed to laugh. It was just <laughs> really surreal. Thing. Right. It was a very unsuccessful program. That's why we uh, transitioned over. Um, and they... Uh, it was... And then from that, we were like, oh, man, it's so great when everyone is laughing at the same thing. Yeah. Like, what a cool thing. Also, and- also, I think Matt and I come from like, a, we're essentially like a vaudeville act. We're like a, we're like a vaudeville act. And those vaudeville acts, you know, you, know, you can look at the 60s, 70s, Morecambe and Wise, et cetera, the two Ronnies, that's big influences on us. But even the generation before that, that, that you know, the, yeah, Abbott Costello and even before that, Max Miller Music Hall acts, they were, mm. they weren't, they weren't, working blue they were for a family audience and we're sort of i don't know we matt and i often secretly class ourselves under the much maligned term light entertainment (laughs) yeah very smooth (laughs) fm which was a family entertainment form so i think that's what we feel like we are similarly jill your book is specifically targeted to adults um especially with um understanding and joining in with early childhood creativity rather than simply a book about activities for children well, I, I, I'm doing it in early childhood because it became apparent really quickly that what was hindering, uh, you know, the flourishing on, on, a, on a really broad level was the adult involvement. Um, 
uh, not necessarily were all staff on in on you know on board with what I was doing. Some people were quite defensive and threatened by the fact that I didn't use stencils, you know, pre pre printed. Oh, sorry, my phone's going off there. Um, so. <laughs> Um, so I thought oh you know really to unpick this uh, you know there was I was just it was like a tsunami of negativity towards the arts that that became apparent when I just by delving into it it, it, people are quite negative about art if they've had a negative experience themselves and a lot of it seemed to come from their high school days of good old art rooms, which sadly have changed very little in the public system where the brushes are those white nylon stiff brushes and it's the cheapest grade acrylic paint you can get. And and so they felt like they weren't creative. I got that so often in preschools, which are such creative places. They have, you know, such a holistic um, uh, smorgasbord of the arts. You know, they, they sing, they dance, they, you know, they make clay, they do all sorts of things. Um, but they would go, oh, no, I, I'm not creative. I'm, I'm not a creative person. And, and if I unpick that and said, well, what do you mean you're not creative? Oh, I can't draw. You know, that was really common. I can't draw. Well, of course you can draw. Everyone can draw. If I give you paper and charcoal, you can draw something. Oh, yeah, but I can't. It won't look like what it's supposed to oh, look like. Oh, it won't like. look like and a that, photo. Is that what they kind no. of... No. Oh, and, yeah. you know, that I was horrified at, I, you know, bearing in mind I'm talking within the visual arts framework, that was so overwhelming and everywhere I went, oh, no, I'm not creative because I can't draw or I'm just not creative. And I even had a couple of directors of centres, you know, who were putting the whole programs together saying, um, I don't really get creativity. I don't really dig it. It's not my thing. I'm, I'm, I'm you know, cre- creativity. Like, what is it, you know? And so I was a little bit shocked at how... Uh, I guess, ignorant or just, um, you know, uh, unexposed mm. to things. Like all of us sitting here come from backgrounds probably where we've we've had it for most of our lives or we've discovered it. But sadly we're, you know, we're in a minority and I thought, oh, I really, if I'm going to do anything at all about this, I need to be targeting adults and I had to make them feel like uh, like they were in control and they could have some confidence about delivering something. That's mm. why the book is so instructive. I guess. Maybe yeah. I can relate that to Martha. You were just saying that you and your parents are like, the parents are in the space as well. Um, and is that an important part of the process? Is it to let them engage yeah. in as well? Absolutely, yeah. So we're all about um, children discovering, but we also want the parent to be involved in that learning as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, every every parent that comes in has to bring a child or every child that comes in brings a parent with them or a carer. Um, and... Yeah, it's, it's very important because what we want is that learning or that discovery, that creativity to be found in the space and, and, you know, enjoyed, but then when they go home to take that back to the home as well and to continue that, that learning together. Um, I think one of the things that I love seeing is, or well, first off, is trying to create a space that is incorporating both adults and child and, and does that engagement so whether it's something that might be a little nostalgia for you, the parent to be like, oh, yeah, I remember this, or, um, or for them to have that extra knowledge to, to impart on their child. Um, but I really like it when they then feel 
like they've got permission to be a bit silly. And so we've got costumes. We have adult size and kids size. So they can put on a costume and, and you know, we've got a light sound action stage area. So uh, I remember seeing, you know, a parent getting really involved with their child and, and dancing and, you know, there's some music that they can turn on and, and that were just creating and having their own time. And, like, I just walked past, like, really in the background <laughs> so that they weren't going to get embarrassed. But I think it's that really nice natural um, play that they then do together and then the, the child sees that, that that it's valued and or that it's okay to, to do this. Um, and I think with us having staff there who are leading some of the activities and are also being, if you like, quoted sort of marks, um, silly, but it's actually just being, you know, having fun and enjoying it, then the parent feels like they've got that permission to, to do the same sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important to have the the parents involved, the parent or carer involved in, in, in that play and discovery. Is that the main kind of hurdle you have to address with when the adults are in the space? So just like allowing them to be silly and then, or like kind of letting them show the children it was important or like valid, valid? Yeah, yeah. I think early on, like when we first opened, we were, not many people knew what a discovery, like what a children's museum was. And I think um, trying to work out what we were and how to operate in this weird sort of space um, was tricky at the start, but I think now we've got a good, you know, membership base who kind of help show others how how mm. to play in the space and that it is okay to to, to play with your child. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's been, you know, it's 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 certainly been a, a learning phase for us. It's in ourselves, but um, but I think you know sometimes it's that little bit tricky of um, whether you whether the um, carer is is on their phone or if they're having a coffee and they're not sort of totally engaged where the child is. Um, but, you know, most of the time it's, it's, they are here for that purpose. And I guess the only other thing that is like, I think Jill was kind of touching on that is that idea of like, we have a sort of art space as well, so they can start to create different things. But by having the parent there, they sometimes sort of want it to look perfect. And so then they start to take over their child's artwork and you're like, no, it doesn't have to look like A, it can be C. Like, and um, and so trying to, I think if it's embedded within them that it has to look like the way it was pictured. Um, so we're trying to sort of break that down by just having art exploration so there's not this pinterest kind of you have to follow these steps it's more about looking at the material so if it is clay which is i agree jill very popular and so it's about playing and molding and you work out what you want that to be or if it's charcoal you're just going crazy with the charcoal and working out how that works rather than going okay today we're going to be building a ship and this is how it's done so um and that sort of helped to let the parents also be involved in that that process of what can this material do rather than what product am I going to be ended with? Yeah. I also like teach music creativity to technical uh, students who are like between the ages of 18 and sort of 21. And it, by that stage, um, sort of they've decided whether or not they're technical or creative. They're very clearly yeah. like, oh, this is a supposed to be a, a creative class and I'm not creative and it, you actually have to sort of break them one by one to do that. Um, and it's you really can't sort of 
do it for them in any way, shape or form because then it isn't sort of creative or whatever. Um, which I get, which you also talk about in your book, Jill, of this idea of, um, uh, yeah, like uh, deciding whether or not you're creative or not at some point, like where that sort of happens. Um, yeah. But also people, people are creative in so many other ways. I like to, like if you cook or you, you know, you garden or you, I, I've said to teenagers, you know, if you, if you're going out on a hot date on the weekend, you're going to stand in front of the mirror and discard at least four outfits and you're going to mix and match all your clothing. You, you're using the same kind of sensitivities there by choosing shape and colour and, you know, everyone has a level of creativity but, but people just have a strange, out, you know, outside of my sphere of people I know, I find it quite odd what people see as being creative. It's very prescriptive. Yeah, it's a very specific sort of, term on that i mean because of all the hot dates i go on um that's the only reason i sort of know still (laughs) yeah i'm so creative every time it's constant creativity i'm a bit disappointed in the color of your shirt tom blue brown (laughs) for the record i thought my shirt was particularly autumnal like the fallen leaves on my window but each to their own um well then so matt and rich i mean you're if we're talking about like adults do you have to like break the adults as well like i've seen like when i saw prince of skidmark um like your this the kids were on board immediately like there was no there's also no time for them not to be on board like i think the the how soon the fart jokes sort of come out they're ready for it um do you, do you ever have to work to work I don't with know what the, talking about no, 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 it was, it was <laughs> hamlet sorry. yeah sorry no you're right that's, that's hamlet. there are no f- no yeah we, we what we see is we see a literal unfurling of adults. They will sit there with their mm. arms folded at the start, wanting to be on their phone and hoping to get like fifty minutes of babysitting, and then by the end they are throwing aliens. They're calling out. They're pretending to be zombies along with the kids. And I think we're really lucky because Rich and I don't pretend to be kids in our shows. We are adults mm. being stupid, yeah. and there's an automatic. There's an automatic permission in the room for everybody to just jump on board with that. Yeah. And regardless of what they do, they'll never be the biggest idiot in the room because that's one of us. Hmm. Um, and I think we're really lucky in that way to be able to kind of like open up a space where that's available. And we also have a um, like a kind of a company philosophy of like, sort of never making, like trying not to make fun of people. Like mm. every offer is a good offer. We we always, we never want to punish anybody for going out on a limb and participating. And um, Apart I, from if a front row dad puts his feet on the stage. <laughs> oh, yeah, no front row dad. Blows <laughs> our blood. <laughs> no, um, and I think that, that's, that that kind of energy is in the room and there's something about kids that kind of make, makes that energy as yeah. well. Yeah, what uh, um, Jill was talking about earlier, we, we re- I really connected with, which is uh, the, the idea of stencils being for kids and <laughs> how, like, actually, if you think about that in a sort of, like, philosophical way, what you're saying is, like, there's a preformed thing that is the best thing, and that is very much a, an idea you can carry over into the performing arts by the way that performing arts have taught. The way that you act mm-hmm. is like this. When you're on stage, you either have an English accent or an American accent. You know, these acting schools exist where that's what they're taught. Yeah. And I think that Matt and I are trying to always colour outside the lines. So when we did Hamlet, we have 
the, the beauty of the double act is that we can sort of embody the opposites. So my character is very like conservative, wants to do a traditional Shakespeare, mm. is the one who wants to colour in the lines, is the one who likes stencils, is the one who hates mess. Matt has no, is the complete opposite. And so, and he always wins, you know. So when we tried to do Hamlet, I wanted it to do it properly, but Matt wanted to rewrite Hamlet. He wanted Hamlet to come back from the dead. He wanted Ophelia to become a ninja. He wanted Hamlet and Ophelia to have a ninja fight and everyone to be zombies. And so that's what ends up happening. So I, I feel a lot of affinity with what um, people are talking about with things like uh, joy and mess. You know, I think that would be a good way of describing one of our shows. <laughs> our shows, absolutely. Yeah. It's, absolutely it's, so, it's, it's absolutely yeah. what we try and do. And like mm. our stages are literally, mess. Yeah. we start with a clean black stage with hardly any props. And then by the end, the feeling that we want the audience to look at to have when they look at our stages go, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to clean that up. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, and that's actually when we knew we'd made it is when we didn't have to clean it up either. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't swept a stage in years. Right. Um, yeah, you mentioned Ophelia. It's like the, it's the, the least... Um, uh, it's the least insufferable version of Ophelia I've ever seen. It's like, oh, she's the best character. This is the best adaptation of Ophelia I've ever seen. Well, the strange thing about Ophelia is that, like, Hamlet's father gets murdered and he spends the whole play avenging him, uh, whereas Ophelia's father gets murdered. She goes mad by Hamlet because yeah. he's hiding behind a curtain. <laughs> she goes mad and drowns herself in a river, the end. Like, And Matt's whole point, this is where Matt goes along with the play into that point where, and then he's like, hang on a second. What about Ophelia's dad? Why doesn't he come back from the dead as a ghost and tell Ophelia to avenge his death? Yeah. Like, why doesn't that happen? So, and also, what we wanted to sort of do is like sort of say that the theatre and that those that those shows that those fa those fancy plays that you'll get taught through school are like clay. You yes, can yes. model mm. whatever you want them yeah, to be, yeah. and yeah. you get to be in charge of that. And however you want to like shape your clay poo. Uh, is how it happens and 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 having the opportunity to kind of like say that to kids mm. and adults especially mm. Mm. and especially in an STC context where everyone is sitting there po-faced thinking that they've brought their kids to a... Um, Although a we, re we really enjoy the STC <laughs> and all of their subscribers <laughs> and we'd like to thank for them for their support <laughs> in making Hamlet and Skidmark. People have brought their kids there to, to, to make them have a Shakespeare experience and they did, but also one of the other things we were saying was like also theatre can be anything that you want it to be, mm. which is mm. it's cool. Like mm. it's great to be able to do both. There's a couple of quotes that come to mind on that. Um, <clears throat> one's Picasso's, which is which I've you know heard bandied around a lot about, you know, children are the best artists, and we spend the rest of our lives trying to return to that state. There's a certain truth in that. Um, and Ken Robinson, who's a UK um, education guru, said that. We don't grow into our creativity. We're educated out of it. And I think that's really true. And I think when I look at what kids bring, the under fives bring everything that I would want in my own artistic practice, that I'd really struggle to make a mark the way they do. The other thing I think <clears throat> that they get to is that it's like a language. And that's how I pitch it to parents that if I'm having to justify any um, academic cognitive value in what they do, 
you know, it's a language that people do use and utilise without realising throughout their lives. And kids are so fluent in it, like in, in the most amazing way. You think people seem to be caught, um, caught up in that there's a difference between like play and learning, that your, your play was only valued out of like the nonsense kind of idea of just like getting something to do as opposed to what you actually gain is yeah. a skill or a skill on how to process information and what you can learn from that and what you're like, why, where does that come from? Why, why aren't they? Look, I think... Um, it's particularly bad in our country. European countries in the education system, it's it's different and I don't think they have this battle. But here, uh, you know, the NAPLAN testing and your ATAR rating and all of those things, we're just constantly besieged with ratings and I think parents are anxious about how well their kids are going to perform and they've really lost touch with what uh, this you know how they can utilize the processes that they use in in performance and music and mm-hmm. art like there's there's um I do a lot of um observational drawing with kids which you would have seen in that book too um where I I give them objects or they bring in objects but like I might give them all I, once I took them in a few I had a fuchsia plant in my garden which is a really complicated flower and it had hundreds of them so I took this big bag of fuchsias in so they could pull them to bits I loved doing that as a child pulling flowers apart and looking at all the bits and they did the most amazing work through I just sort of put a little scaffold there for them to think about what shapes they could see and then they got really into what what shapes were in the petals and what colors they were and it was a little bit like putting lego together like they ended up when they pulled the flowers apart they they had this table full of bits and then I said well let's try and put that onto paper now and so they would draw all of the bits and you know it's observation analysis interpretation expression problem solving risk taking um you know it's all the stuff that we use right you know throughout life it's do you still like tear flowers apart Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I hope they've already fallen off the tree, though. <laughs> yeah. It's a, there's a thin lump in creativity and sort of being a bit psychotic there, but I like it. <laughs> and so you say you still use that as a process even for your own sort of art or just as your I, own? I do. Of- Sometimes I, when I come home from a day or, you know, a session in a preschool, I'm so fired up at what the work they've done. Um, but I've sometimes, you know, I'm embarrassed to say I try to replicate what they do, but I can't. It's just because they have their fluidity of their line. I give them ink, ink and um, brushes that we make sometimes out of hair and animal fur and all sorts of things, and or things out of the garden that you dip into ink. And they're so unrestrained and unselfconscious that whatever they they the marks that they make are so pure they're just absolutely beautiful and i i can't i i can't do that anymore i have to drink a lot of pinot gris and then maybe i can do some yeah we have to learn to forget to create something yeah yeah which also like martha you're talking about providing very small ideas that then they can destroy and disseminate in their own way as well does it work for you as self as a creator like do you learn through that process i guess martha yeah of course i think um i think that's kind of why we don't have signs or telling you how to play in a particular place because if we did that uh i think it would stifle a lot of the creativity or the um you know the child's inner inability to just do whatever they want to do and or parents might 
more directive to them to say, oh, this is actually how we play in this area. So, um, you know, we've got a marketplace which has little mini shopping trolleys and all the foods that they can get and we also have a cave um, where you can go inside and hide and climb up stalactites and stalagmites, not real ones, of course. Um, and I explained about the ship as well. And one day, you know, walked over to the marketplace and there were no potatoes and no onions. And I'm like, where are the potatoes and where are the onions? And then, you know, on further exploration of the space, because it's quite a big space, um, found them all inside the um, the cave. And so someone had obviously thought, oh, I'm going to need, you know, some some sustenance when I go to my cave exploration. And, and so I'd put them there. And another time, you know, four whole trolleys had been taken onto the shipyard. Um, and so, again, you know, they've got a long journey ahead of them to get to Antarctica <laughs> yeah, and they need to have their supplies and not be hungry. So I think even with that, like there are lots of hands-on props that the children can play with and they do move around. Like we're forever picking up pieces from far-reaching places that you wouldn't think that's where they belong. Um, and then I think it is from that, though, we 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 can learn from the, the children that, oh, okay, that isn't somewhere that I didn't think they would go there. But, yeah, okay, that, that works and maybe we could now include um, some food. And so in the end, you know, we had some old mm. cans of food that were, um, you know, past their, their date on the, the experience. So then we just boxed them up into to boxes and put them on the shipyard. So now they could like take the food on their journey with them. So for sure, we learn from the children, I think, and just knowing what what they're interested in um, and what you can see that how they use different spaces to then, you know, inform future experiences, I think. And mm. and I think that's really important to, to take on their feedback as well. So we have a Lego room at the moment, Bricks and Clicks we call it, and um, and even that, like we went before we launched it, we, we had it open and just as a sort of pilot and asked the children to say, like, what what do you want to see in this space? And, and it was a very plain floor uh walls and just a couple of tables with lego on it and then they said this is what we want this is and and it was things that we probably already were going to include but to have Mm. the child voice heard was was also good because then it felt like it was part of their their space and we even asked them to to name the room and so it was named bricks and clicks because of the competition that we sort of you know name the you know and so we didn't have to come up with the name which was great you know it's led by them and i think that's important to keep to keep listening to the children because they have got great ideas and and while they may be a little bit more way out there um, in some respects and we can't always facilitate them um, within budget, um, but but to take on their their um, their ideas is definitely um, or even just the way they play in some areas you can go okay I didn't think that's how you play in there but let's let's remember that for the next time we make something or mm. yeah so for sure we are always learning. Do you, um, just even in prep for this, I just realized how many like kids books that I have on my own bookshelf, um, and nothing else. <laughs> Same. <laughs> just every day there's something new in there. Um, the monster at the end of this book, for instance. Oh, I love that book. Such is the best book. Oh my God. God, my introduction to postmodernism. I love it. I was just noticing the the main theme I could find through all of them tended to be about control and either the most relatable character or the most childlike character. It's about them having control or gaining control in some sort of way, whatever the situation is, which sure. seems to be what you are sort of discussing, this idea of like having 
like uh, creative autonomy for want of a better word there of being able to actually be in charge and have that be valuable i suppose absolutely yeah and in like the listy shows in prince of uh skid market matt you're the kind of child on stage you're the one there sort of giving permission for like their ideas which are the most crazy out there are being played out do you consciously think about control i guess Oh yeah. Like that's how we approach everything. Like when we make something, it's, it is absolutely what would a kid do? Oh, it's mainly how would we break this? Um, and I don't think kids think of it as breaking. They just like yeah, change uh, or something. Well, break it open. Oh, yeah. Break the rules. Like your flower. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. and then that's how we kind of move through there. Like what, how would that then be disciplined or parented? And then how do we undermine that? And then that's where the kind of mechanics of a lot of our bits comes from. Yeah. And then if we get stuck, we literally ask the kids what yeah. should happen next. Yeah, we've done showings where we have a story and, you know, telling on stage and we don't know how it ends, the third act ends, you know. So we'll literally just stop. And then just ask this showing audience, like, what should happen next? And they never don't have an idea about what should happen next. Yeah. And it's great. And we just steal the best one. And then just, you yeah. know, that's our career. <laughs> so it's yeah. But the other thing I would say is the interesting thing for Matt and I as, as performers is that because there is that, there is that conscious approach that we will do as back control. And then there's the other thing, which is when you're performing and you're improvising, as you would know, Tom, you're engaging your unconscious as well. So, so like unconscious things play out with Matt and I, and we don't even know it. So uh, our old manager said to us, do you know you guys, when I first started managing you guys like 10 years ago, your stuff was like two brothers arguing, but now it's like Richard's the parent and you're the child. Your relationship has morphed on stage. And that wasn't a conscious choice. It's just like who we are as people, our journeys. And, that, um, that yeah. came, and I think that came from that like, that just like that performing to adults and then we we were performing to families and then there was just so that vein of performing the anxieties at home on stage yeah like we have a show that's literally about got, try, trying rich to get, trying to get me to go to bed yeah and all the reasons why matt doesn't want to go to bed so that's like the whole show and then when matt falls asleep that's the end but then but then Matt starts snoring and Rich wakes up and he goes, no, and that's the end, you know. <laughs> yeah. But that, that, not rocket science. <laughs> but that idea just came from like us having friends with kids and watching them yeah, yeah. try and take, put their kids to bed and just the endless invention that kids come up yeah, with at quite that funny. time to just like. As people that don't have kids, it's quite funny. I'm sure it's horrible. Well, if, you have, too. If, you don't, if you have kids, I'm sure it's a, a living yeah. nightmare. Uh, <laughs> We don't have kids, so we think it's funny. Uh, like my goddaughter once made herself a new toothbrush. She was just like, my toothbrush, it's, uh, I haven't changed it in a while, so I'm just going to go and I'm just going to make a new toothbrush for me to <laughs> then use. I'll go to bed. And then I'll go to bed. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Industrial design. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, I should also say, like, the 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 subtext of this entire like podcast and discussion series is basically just a way for me to like inform the next process of my work, really, in different right, ways. Right. So, really, I'm stealing your your ideas. Casso had a saying about that, didn't he? It was, "Don't steal my ideas, Tom." I think. That was- <laughs> I thought T.S. Eliot said that. Um, I was just wondering if there's anything like warnings or things you need to really avoid when creating work for children, or like uh, things that you see other people doing wrong. I know it's a very dangerous question but like things that you you've learned specifically to stay clear uh, of? I, I think i mean matt and i are lucky because 
Matt, as a very young performer, was doing Questacon in Canberra, and mm. I was doing uh, student theatre. I was doing like Roald Dahl adaptations from the age of 20. So we've always done kids' theatre. We've never not done it. And it's, there are some rules of it. Like, don't talk, don't, don't talk. Like, it's fun to do a co- occasional, like, politics references or stuff that only the parents get. But the moment you, you, can, you really only get, like, two of those per show. Yeah, kids know when you're not playing to them. And they yeah. get tired of that. It's, it's, also, you know, you can't do a reference. They don't like things they can't understand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, be careful of how scary you are and how loud your music is. Uh, that's just a practical thing. A lot of people are just too loud, too big, and there's just four-year-olds will cry and run away. And purely from a mechanics point of view, it's like like we're talking about how wonderful it is to like, like in our world in theatre, to open up um, creativity and, and to let kids in. But at some point you, you have to provide the structure, otherwise the kids will get in and the show will fall apart. Yes. And we've seen so many people go, you know, like in, in open mic rooms for or lineup shows in Edinburgh where for, that are for kid audiences, somebody who's never worked for kids before who goes like, oh, I'm just going to go out there and uh, see how it goes. And they, and these are great comedians, yeah. and they will be eviscerated by the kids yeah. because they try to do crowd work and kids don't understand why they can't all talk at the same yeah, time. Yeah, or they'll get a stage invasion or, or everyone will throw their shoes at them. Like, there's... <laughs> We, we talk about it. We talk about it as the wall. We call it, and it's kind of a hard ascetic. Oh, the door. You open the door, you close the door. You, yeah, to, on the fourth wall. And and our our shows have the door always slightly ajar, but we're very quick to close it when we need to. Yeah. Otherwise, the show... Otherwise, you don't have a show. Yeah, there's, it's not a show. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, it is just a kind of messy room, really. Which is fine, which is yeah. fine. And there are... It's, that's great, too, but... For us, it is about, and that's what we've learned as a duo, how to open the door fully, how to close it, how to leave it a little bit open, and that's that's the talent. Mm. That's, and just, the, that's yeah. the practice, really. And and just being disciplined enough to not, like, just want to jump on all of their bonkers ideas. Yeah. <laughs> just enjoying that fun space and going, hang on, no, we have to deliver something of quality every time we perform, and in order to do that, you need to shut the door sometimes. Yeah, yeah that's the yeah. tension, isn't it? Yeah. That's the tension, that's the practice. That's the fun of it. Yeah. yeah, how how you can how you can embrace the spontaneity and embody can- it, make it new, make it fresh, but not have it be rule. Not have that rule, but also not make it be too close. But at the end of the day, do a consistent show every yeah. day. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just sitting here thinking yeah. how interesting it is that everything you just said. Listies translates absolutely into an art room that getting the balance between the the, getting the structure right the tension of the structure so an overstructure might be uh, where I would walk into a room where the staff had already put materials out and the paper would be too small and they would be either pencils or uh, a really common one is a jar of texture pens that are half dried up so when children go to immerse themselves in the act of creating it's too small and the you know the bling factor is not coming out of the tool they're using and that's common in schools and homes because it's not messy you know the paper's not too big and the materials won't spill there's no mess so that's too much structure um but so i i will still give structure but my materials would be um, of a quality where as soon as a child picks it up and dips it in the ink and puts it on a big sheet of paper, um, uh, the pr- it's a process of 
oh, it's really hard to find the right way to describe that process, but just that it's almost visceral because the feeling of the bristles of the brush going over a smooth surface that leaves behind this rich, juicy trail of magenta ink, it's not lost on any age. You know, adults will respond to that mm. as well, but parents don't, don't, don't offer that kind of a setup at home as a rule. They wouldn't get like a really large piece of paper or even even the cardboard box that the IKEA furniture gets delivered in. They're fantastic to lay on the floor and paint on. But again, it's I think in a lot of household it's too messy. And I think you nailed it before too when you said you don't have kids, therefore you you know you <laughs> it is a different world when you don't have kids and you're not coming home from a day's work and you've got a creative child that wants to lay the IKEA box on the floor and get the paints out. You know, you don't you don't want to deal with that at the end of the day. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, there's... we are the IKEA box. I think. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you raised a good point there, Jill, in terms of like having too much structure. But then I also think you do need to have at least some structure. Like you, you were you saying, do. you lay out some things. Like it can be too overwhelming. Otherwise, if they've got everything at their fingertips and they don't know where to start and it's not as authentic in terms of yeah. like a proper uh, experience because they're just sort of mixing and matching. And I mean, I, that could be fun, but I think having a level of not necessarily step-by-step -step structure, but, but yeah, like a, a collection it, it's of a things. scaffold. I like a scaffold, to call yes. a scaffold. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting. One thing that I f sort of saw after a few months that really struck me was that, the visual arts was the only area where the materials were laid out and the children were completely left alone and the staff didn't role model in mm. any way. So they would set up paints, set up easels and walk away. They didn't put musical instruments. They didn't put 10 ukuleles on a table and yeah. walk away. They didn't put the books that they were going to read that week on the table and walk away and let the children have their own immersive experience. So I brought that up with... The staff too and said those children can guide their own learning and they would be doing that at home anyway with art materials if they've got them but they can only guide their own learning to a certain point like a like a four-year-old with a ukulele will do as well or you know you you as that's what our role is yeah. and, and the, to do it well is finding that level of tension or structure where you provide a scaffold that really excites them and then you can let them go within that scaffold. I think uh, just, uh, Jill, I, I'm really, I think this is amazing what you're saying and I totally agree, but and I don't want to get political here because like we're children's comedians, but at the same time, I feel like <laughs> there is a, I feel like what you're describing is a sort of lack of uh, priority for the arts. The arts is at the bottom of the tree and I feel like that is reflected in Australian society right now. And I feel that that is what we're seeing, you know, when you get that situation, like where, you know, like Matt said, sometimes where children's theatre is expected to be a babysitter or, you know, the arts is just something they do because they don't want to fill the curriculum. You yeah, know? it's on the curriculum uh, and they have to kind of tick a competency in some way. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe I'm just saying that now because of what's happening with, you know, COVID-19 and the, the lack of an arts and entertainment package that's going on. <laughs> I don't want to bring that into this discussion, but at the same time, I no, we've got hours left. Let's yeah, well, I just, out, guys. I'm just, I just can't help but think that that is, you know, what you're actually seeing is a sort of embodiment of the, uh, not, the deprioritization of the of creativity. Totally, totally. Yeah. 
I grew up I grew up under Gough Whitlam and had free education and you know money put into the arts so yeah where we are now is yeah not to get political better stop there but um, I think it's What's happening now is um, a reflection of how things have been for quite some time and it was a really raw exposure of where the arts sit in Australia. But, you know, hey, we get, you know, you, you're more likely to get sport on the front page than, you know, anyone. I'm always struck by people who on the world stage, you know, might have some outstanding achievement in the arts will rarely make you know, more than they don't make it outside the arts pages or uh, there's just not, there's not the recognition in this country for sure. And I don't know that we can do an awful lot. About we can be that. really, really good, I guess. Yeah. And we can also bring it up occasionally in these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because yeah. I think they're all yeah. listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the parents are the key here to, um, you, like there's lots of examples you just have to have them foremost in your mind and ready to share with people like in New Zealand to treat dyslexia they've they've had a real breakthrough where they use good old clay to shape letters and numbers with children with dyslexia because apparently when you have dyslexia it's the conjoining words if you if you if the word you're looking at doesn't have an image to go with it they can't it can't can't make sense and so they're using clay to make letters to spell words that's working with dyslexia and I think parents sort of want to hear things like that that art materials and and immerse you know like theatre I think you know drama is a fantastically powerful tool for for young kids and you know kids who struggle um, but they just parents and, and adults seem to want concrete proof in some way you know mm. some kind of academic tick before it's okay Matt's covered you know, in academic ticks I, I have to go to <laughs> got academic mono um i uh, i we sort of find that there's this thing there's a thing that happens in some families when we're when when we talk to them and or we're we're trying to reach out to new audiences there are people there are people who define themselves as not theater people like when we head into rural areas um, and more regional touring sort of stuff, that's the way that the people who, the, the good hardworking people who run those kind of um, local councils who are trying to find community engagement um, programs like theatre, they'll say a lot of people here, they're not really theatre people. And that response is so strange to us. As if, as if there's supposed to be people walking around with these scarves and rakish hats yeah, going, yeah, oh, yeah. darling, have theater. you seen yeah. Phantom yeah. of the Opera? But, <laughs> but I mean, the thing, because we, we do some stuff in the UK as well, and I, thought, I mean, we go and see shows there and working class families come and they, because they go to... In Edinburgh especially. Yeah, yeah. They, go, they go to pantomime when they're kids and they sort there's no, I don't think anyone would just, like, well, not, there would be people, but that idea of not being theatre people, I just don't think it exists. It's an odd, it's an odd paradigm too, because you get things like the, the comedy festival uh, road show, which goes through like so many towns, mm. and that people and, and they're so they well attended that. those shows. Or they'll you know? go, and that is theatre. You know? Yeah, how is that not theatre? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I don't know what my point is there. No, I don't either. Let's no, but I feel on. like you made it very well. I think I'm going to name an artwork that I like. That they're not, they're not 
I'm not a theatre person. I'm going to make an artwork. But it's, I think my point. <laughs> what did you say? They're not. We're not theatre people. My point yeah. is, I think, is that that's the parents who are making that decision on the child's behalf. It's and that yeah. that what you said it before, Jill. It, it is about there's something about unlocking the parents that is the key to that. And whenever we get an, a family like gives us the privilege of being in our audience we we are recruiting them that is our aim it's like at the end of this you might think that you're a theater person but you're going to have the best 55 minutes yeah. with your kids yeah. and you will leave here yeah. going maybe i am a theater person yeah. and like that's kind of our mm, job that's yeah. our job yeah so, mm. yeah well it's kind of wonderful that all like that all of you are sort of creating those first primary uh interactions with the arts on whatever sort of form that is um god i got to start a children's band immediately <laughs> Things began to devolve into chaos, so I started to wrap up this joyful and messy conversation when Jill brought it all back with some final thoughts. Look, I, I always like to remind people that the earliest documented form of communication uh, is is visual. It's cave the cave paintings. Are, you know, those those mark I call it you know visual mark making is a language that those visual marks weren't wouldn't have been for leisure it wasn't a pursuit of you know filling time done done in the caves it's it's a very uh, deeply embedded drive in human nature to pick up a tool and make a mark or to pick up an instrument and make a sound or to use your voice uh, you know it's a really um, fundamentally raw and very powerful form of communication that kids get. Big thanks to our guests this week. Jill Talbot, Martha Johnson of the Early Start Discovery Space and Richard Higgins and Matthew Kelly of the Listies. Also big thanks to Annie Clapton and Janine Premer from Wollongong City Council in wrangling this together for me. Creative Dialogues is a Wollongong City Council project. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Tom Hogan. See the show notes for more information on today's artists and visit the Wollongong City website for upcoming episodes. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, everyone. It was so good to meet you all. See you. I'm going now. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.